All right. Well, uh, we are continuing this Sunday in the sermon series I'm doing entitled Meeting Jesus, where I am looking at various interactions that Jesus had with people in the Gospel of John in order to discover who Jesus is and what it means to know him and follow him. And this Sunday, we're going to be in John chapter 2, looking at a very unique and shocking interaction, not to use clickbait words, but it is a very shocking interaction between Jesus and a group of money changers in the temple. So I'm going to read John chapter 2, verses 13 to 22, and then we're going to talk about what this reveals to us about who Jesus is and what it means to know and follow him. So John chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords, and he drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. And then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. This is God's word. So this is what happens in John, in the beginning of John. When you go to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have a record of Jesus also clearing the temple, but they have it taking place near the end of his ministry. And so either there's one account done in two different ways, or there's two times that Jesus cleared the temple. I, certainly, I personally believe there's two times. But let me just quickly read Matthew's account from Matthew 21. It goes like this. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Told you it was shocking. So evidently there was something going on in the temple courts that caused Jesus such righteous anger that he fashioned a cord, a whip of cords, and he drove out all who were selling, all who were changing money, the sheep, the cattle, overturned tables, scattered the money. Something was happening that was so offensive to him that his righteous anger took over and he drove them out. And he says, how dare you turn my father's house into a marketplace? And Matthew says, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. So what was it that made Jesus so angry? What made him so upset with these money changers and those who were selling these animals in the temple courts? I want to go through just the one statement he makes there in in Matthew's gospel, and I think it'll be instructive to us to help us understand a little bit more about Jesus and what makes him so angry in this situation. And I know it's going to be instructive to us today as we spend our time here in the house of God. So if I could break it down into three parts. The first part, he says, my father's house. He says, my father's house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. That's the Isaiah passage where it comes from. My father's house. So he walks into the temple, and instead of saying, how dare you turn the temple into a marketplace, he says, how dare you turn my father's house into a marketplace? In Matthew 20, when he quotes a passage from Isaiah 56, where God, referring to the temple, says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. 
Now, in those days, there was one temple in Jerusalem where people from all over would gather for worship. You didn't go to your you know, neighborhood synagogue. Everyone descended upon the temple in Jerusalem, especially on festivals like Passover, which is John chapter 2. It says it was a Passover festival. So people from all over are streaming here. And they need to bring a sacrifice, but you can imagine they're not going to bring a cattle or sheep or dove from hundreds of miles away. They're going to come with their money. They're going to exchange their money to local currency. They're going to buy an animal, and they're going to offer it as a sacrifice as they come to worship, to meet with God, to hear from the Lord. Even though God is omnipresent, he, he dwells everywhere, he told King Solomon that he would dwell in a very special place in the Holy of Holies, in the midst of the temple. So this is God's house. This is not just the temple. This is God's house where he dwells to meet with his people. Passover, in case you forgot, was a, uh, it was a holiday commemorating the exodus, right? When, when God rescued the people out of slavery in Egypt. So it was a major festival, people from all over coming. They're selling these doves, they're changing money. And Jesus is really upset at all these money changers and people selling animals in the temple courts. Because it's not just a temple, it's not just a building, it is God's house, his father's house. So I want you to think for a minute about the last time you visited someone's house or maybe the last time that someone came over to your house. What expectations might you have had on people who came to your house? What expectations might they have had on you when you came to their house? You know, what kind of etiquette might be expected when you enter someone's house or when they enter your house? I can think of a few off the top of my head. Maybe uh, respect the host, Right? Lots of pleases and thank yous and appreciation for their hospitality. I can think of maybe obey the rules of the house. You know, if they say to take your shoes off at the door, take your shoes off at the door. If they want you to use a coaster when you use something, then use a coaster. Like, whatever the rules are of the house, you get to know the rules of those house, and then you abide by them. That's part of being a good guest. How about leaving the place better than you found it, right? That might be another rule when you enter someone's house, is that you want to leave the place better than you found it. And for all of us who've had rude house guests in the past, you know how offensive it might be when they just kind of transgressed the expectations that you have of your house. So one of the reasons Jesus is so angry is because this is not just the temple. It's not just a building. This is his father's house. This is a place where God has said he will dwell with his people. And there were rules and there were expectations on those who came to his house. And evidently, these money changers and those who are selling animals are transgressing the rules of his house in a very serious way that causes Jesus to fashion a cord of whips, a whip of cords, and just drive them out. So fast forward to today. We're going to get into what those rules were in a little bit, but fast forward to today. You know, after Jesus' death and resurrection and the giving of the Holy Spirit, this temple was eventually destroyed in 70 A.D., and God doesn't dwell in the Holy of Holies in a temple anymore. We don't need to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to meet with God. Now that God has given us his Holy Spirit, God dwells in us by his Holy Spirit, right? That's where God dwells. But it is also true that when the church gathers together, God dwells in our midst in a very special way. Let me just share a couple of passages that bring this out. First Peter 2, 4 through 5 says this, As you come to him, the living stone, talking about Jesus, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay, so it's a picture of us 
All of you, as you gather together, being like a spiritual house, like a temple in which God dwells by his spirit. Another one, Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. Paul writes this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Does that make sense? So both these passages are saying the same thing. When you guys gather together, when we come together here, we are like the temple. We're like a spiritual house in which God dwells by his spirit. So this is not just New Life Christian Fellowship. This is not just a church. You have entered this morning God's house. This is the house of God that you are in. There's many things I could say about what those expectations might be of God when people enter his house. But one that comes to mind is a passage we're actually going to be looking at this next week, John 4, 23 to 24, when Jesus is exchanging words with a Samaritan woman at the well. and She wants to talk about where people should worship. He says this, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. That's one way of of answering the question, what are the expectations on you as you come into God's house? That he is seeking people who will come to worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's take the truth part first. I think that means worshiping him in truth means worshiping him according to who he is. I mean, can you imagine if someone came into your house and treated you like you were someone else? You know? Maybe if you're of a certain political persuasion, they're talking the complete opposite way. And you're like, why are you bringing this up to upset me? You know I'm this way. Or maybe uh, if there's something else about what you enjoy and what you love, and they're completely doing the opposite, treating you like you're someone else entirely, how offensive that is. Can you imagine if you're coming into God's house to worship, but you're worshiping as if he's someone else, not according to the truth of who he has revealed himself to be? And then worshiping him in spirit, I think, means connecting with him from your heart. Worshiping him in spirit, with who you are at a heart level. That God is looking for people who will come in to meet with him at a heart level, not just go through the motions, not just thinking that you're checking a box here by sitting and by singing songs and by listening, that somehow that's what God is looking for, is people who show up. God is looking for your heart. You understand? God is after your heart. Are you engaged? Are you worshiping him in spirit and in truth. I mean, just let me just throw out a few things in particular, okay? When you go over to someone's house, you may give thought to how you dress, right? Depending on who they are. In this house, we don't really make a big deal about how people dress because we understand that it's about your heart, right? God is after your heart. But for some of you, how you dress does reflect upon your heart. Some of you know that, you know, I'm going to get dressed up to go to church because it's a way of me presenting myself to God in such a way. And that's okay. Other people might get dressed up because they're trying to look good for other people. And that's not what God is looking for, right? Some people might just show up in a t-shirt and shorts and that's okay because, you know, they're saying, you know, it's not about what I wear. I want to make sure my heart is engaged and that's what I'm focusing on is my heart, not what I wear. Again, God is after your heart. What about when you show up? Again, we have, you know, I've, I've, I've had four kids in my life. 
I know how hard it is sometimes to get places on time. But you reflect upon what it would look like if this was God's house and you were being invited by God to his house. How much effort you might put into trying to get there early, right? Trying to get there on time. Trying to prepare your heart to meet with him. You know, and you only, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes you run late because stuff happens and we know that sometimes you run late because it's a heart condition and your heart hasn't seen this as coming to meet with God. I'm just asking you to evaluate yourself. I know I remember going to the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in in Brooklyn for their Tuesday night prayer meeting and showing up and by half an hour before the prayer meeting, the place was packed and you're like, how is this possible? People there getting as early as they possibly could to meet with God. It was incredible. What are some other things that would help engage your heart to meet with God as you enter this place? Now, again, maybe coming with, with a pen and, and a paper, ready to, ready to write things down and ready, ready to remember things. Maybe that would communicate, God, I'm coming here and I want to hear from you and I'm ready to remember because we all know that we don't remember everything, right? That you hear things and then you've forgotten it maybe a few hours later. Oh, there was something that was said, but I can't remember what it was. And sometimes it can be helpful to actually have a pen in hand or, or a piece of paper or something where you can write down the things that you becomes with your heart ready to hear from God, ready to respond to him. You can think of all kinds of other things, but the point is that God is after your heart. He's not after individuals who just go through the motions. Coming into God's house means coming ready to hear from him, ready to meet with him. This is God's house. And now I know there's a whole camera full of people there as well. And I know because of COVID, you know, many people have been worshiping from home for all kinds of reasons. And I'm full aware that there are good reasons. But then there's sometimes it just becomes a convenience thing. It becomes, you know what, I just don't want to come in. I'd rather worship from home. And sometimes that's okay. But sometimes there's a recognition that this is the house of God and that God does meet with his people here when they gather together in a way that is different than when you're in your living room. I mean, I was blessed a couple months ago when I wasn't here to have my phone, my earpiece, and be in a hotel room and be able to listen to Brian Bywater as a guest preacher. Praise God. That was incredible to be able to connect with you guys from a distance. But it's not the same. It's not the same as being in the house of God. So the first reason that Jesus is upset is because this is not just a building. It's not just a temple. You can't just do what you want. This is the house of God. And to be in God's house means to respect the host, to live and to act according to the rules of the host. Second part of that line is this. My father's house shall be called a house of prayer. First and foremost, God's house is to be a house of prayer. So why was Jesus so upset? Because in that temple, that outer court, the temple courts, were the courts of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were those who were not Jewish, and they'd come, and they'd come there to meet with God and to offer sacrifices. And what had they done? The money changers and those who were selling animals had turned the court of the Gentiles into a marketplace. Can you imagine, you know, if I was trying to, to preach right now or trying to worship and just it was just animals back there, cattle and sheep and donkeys and all of that and doves. What would it be like trying to hear, trying to worship when it's just chaos around you? This is why Jesus is so upset. My house is to be a house of prayer. You want to conduct your business, do it outside the temple courts. 
I mean, they had a function. They needed to exchange money, and they needed to sell the animals for the sacrifice, but not in the middle of the temple courts. My house is to be a house of prayer. When we gather together, yes, we sing, but God's house is not primarily a house of singing. And yeah, I preach, but God's house is not primarily a house of preaching. And yeah, we're going to have a great luncheon, but God's house is not primarily a house of luncheons. It's a house of prayer. And what is prayer? Prayer is not just talking to God as if God is one big ear, you know, and that our job is just tell God how to run the universe. There's a lot of definitions of prayer out there. This is one that I really resonated with and I'm going to refer to throughout the sermon that uh, Alvin Reed put it this way, prayer is intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes. I want you to think about prayer this way, that this house is to be a house of prayer, that this church is to be a house of prayer. As you enter this place, it's to be a house of prayer, a house where there is intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes. I mean, this definition captures the fact that it's not just about us talking and giving requests. It's about entering into an intimate relationship with God where his will becomes our will, where his purposes become our purposes, his heart becomes our heart in a way that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes, that we are aligned with him. May your will be done. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. My house is to be called a house of prayer, a house where people enter in with respect for the host to enter in and to seek intimacy with God, an intimacy that would lead to the fulfillment of his purposes so that we would be a people who are shaped into the character of God, of Jesus, going out to fulfill his will and his purposes. There's different models you may have heard out there when it comes to prayer. One is Acts. Maybe you've heard this one. Starting with adoration, praising God for who he is, and confession, confession of sin, thanksgiving, and then supplication, you know, asking God for things last. Or how about this one? Pray, 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 start with praising, and then repenting, which again is confessing our sins, and asking, and then yielding ourselves to God. Another one is this, the four R's, reverence, beginning with reverence. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Then response, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Requests. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. And then the readiness, being ready to go out and serve him. But the point is that his house is to be a house of prayer where we seek intimacy with him in a way that would align ourselves with his purposes. My house is to be a house of prayer for all nations. And I'll be honest with you, this is, for me, Ever since January, this is what God has been hammering home in me. Just my failure as a pastor to lead our church in prayer. Just going through the motions in so many ways, but not being engaged at a heart level. You know, you can say your prayers, but not really pray. You know that? You can voice things, but your heart is not engaged. And God has been leading me to repent of my self-reliance. You know, doing things in my own strength and my own power. And we as a church, I think, need to do that as well, to not be doing things in our own strength and our own power, but to gather together to seek intimacy with God in a way that would lead to the fulfillment of his purposes. What is it that you want our church to do, God? How is it you want us to lead our lives? Listen to these two passages. Therefore, 
In the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. This is uh, Ananias talking to about the disciples, the early apostles in Acts. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. It's like, yeah, you can go ahead and do things of human origin, but they will fail. But if you do things that are from God, no one will be able to stop you. How about this one? John 5, 17 to 19, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. This is Jesus talking here. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Okay, this is Jesus, the eternal son of God saying, I do nothing by myself. I only do what I see the Father doing. If that's what Jesus, if that was his attitude, what about us? You know, why would we go off and do things on our own? When Jesus is saying, I do nothing on my own. I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only want to do what the Father is doing. Who are we to think that we can just go off, do things on our own, and that God's going to be like applauding and blessing that? Instead, John 15, 4 to 5, Jesus said, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Prayer is intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes. That's what we're gathered here to do. My house shall be called the house of prayer. When you gather, first and foremost, that's the desire of his heart is that you would meet with him that you would achieve that kind of intimacy and oneness with him where your will becomes his will, where your purposes become his purposes, your desires become his desires. I don't want it to be said of your life, of our church, that you never experienced God because you didn't seek him, you didn't ask In James, he gives this chilling passage. You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. I don't want to get to the end of my life and and look back and realize that God had all of these things that he wanted to do in me and through me, but I never sought him. I never asked. I never sought to align myself with his will and his purpose. I just did my own thing, thinking that would be enough. And I don't want our church to get to the end of our existence and look back and say, God had all these things he wanted to do, but we did not take the time to seek him together. We did not take the time to pray together and ask him, what is your will for us, God? So the last part of this line, what made Jesus so angry? He said, my father's house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. What made Jesus so angry? It's not just that they were disrespecting God, and, but that they had turned the court of the Gentiles, the place where foreigners would come to worship and hear from God, they had turned it into a marketplace. And not only did they turn it into a marketplace, they were raising the prices and gouging them. He said, you've made it a den of robbers. Can you imagine someone coming from hundreds of miles away to meet with God? They show up and it's just chaos everywhere and they get ripped off. They can't hear from God. They can't be with anyone, and they lost money in the process. You think they'd ever want to come back to the temple? They would leave and be like, that God and those people 
are so offensive. I am never coming back there. Are you starting to feel Jesus' anger? I mean, this is the God who came to dwell in a temple, who wanted others to come to know him and to meet with him. And then he had, the people were supposed to be welcoming, encouraging, encouraging this kind of love, this kind of worship, causing chaos in the temple. Going back to Isaiah 56, this is where the line came from. Foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him. All who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. That's God's heart. He says, anyone who comes, anyone who comes, I'll give them joy in my house of prayer, for my house is to be a house of prayer for all nations. And this is Jesus' heart, Luke 5, 29 to 32. Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Do you understand why Jesus was so angry now? It's not just, hey, 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 you know, you didn't use a coaster, you know. You're, you're disobeying the rules of my house. It's that his heart is for all who seek him to find him. His heart is for the outcast, the foreigner. He's, his heart is that they would find him and know him. And all of these people who had streamed from afar to be in the temple, to be near God, were experiencing chaos instead, a marketplace animals. And Jesus sees it and with his righteous anger drives them out. How dare you turn my father's house into a marketplace, a den of robbers. My father's house is to be a house of prayer for all nations. You want to see God upset? Prevent people from coming to him. Stand in the way of people who are seeking for God. As Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 13, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Do you want to see God start overturning tables in this church? Make the gay couple that visits your church feel unwelcome. Treat someone different because of their political views. Don't sit near the person who has mental illness. Turn up your nose at the beggar who walks through your door or at the businessman who walks through your door. You want to see God start to overturn tables? Stand in the way of people who are coming to seek him. Get in the way of people who want to come and know this Jesus. My father's house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. This isn't the temple, but this is still the house of God. And his house is a house of prayer for all people. Even though we're sinners, even though we fall short of a holy God, he welcomes us because of Jesus into this place. Because Jesus is the true temple. Jesus is the place where God dwells in his fullness. Colossians 2.9 said, In Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form.
And, you know, when he said to the Jews, you know, destroy, I'm sorry, when he, when he said, when he, when he uh, drove them out of the temple, this is what happened afterwards, if you remember from John 2, the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Jesus died so that we could come into this place. We would not be in the presence of God, sinners as we are, without Jesus' death and resurrection. So how dare we stand in the way of anyone that Jesus died for? All are welcome to God's house. This house is to be a house of prayer for all people, a house where we pursue intimacy with God, an intimacy that will lead us to the, lead to the fulfillment of his purposes. Do not walk into this place thinking it's just a church. Do not thinking it's just a, thinking it's just a building. Recognize that there is a host here, and that host is God, that he has hosted you. Come ready to meet with him, to give him the respect and honor that he is due. He wants your heart. He wants to meet with you at a heart level. And he wants you to play a part in welcoming every single individual who walks through these doors because he died for them. Let's close in prayer. Father, we ask for your forgiveness. We confess to you that we have not given you the praise and respect that you are due when we gather together. We pray and ask for your forgiveness for the ways that we have not welcomed people who have walked through these doors. We pray, God, that you would teach us what it means to make this church a house of prayer for all people where we can find intimacy with you, oneness with you in a way that will lead to the fulfillment of your purposes, that your kingdom will come and your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.